If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 25 before we read our text. I'd like to ask everybody a question. I'm not going to ask you to write it down, but I'd like to ask you if you would just think for a moment of what is your talent? What are your talents or what is your talent? What do you think the talent is that God has given you? Just think about that for a minute. Some people in here, well, they might think that their talent is woodworking. They might think they're a musician or a singer or an accountant or a painter or a plumber, that that's their talent. And that's our idea, isn't it, of the word talent? You know, we'll talk about somebody and we'll say, man, that guy has got a lot of talent. I mean, he can sing and whistle at the same time, you know. But our modern idea of what a talent is is not the Bible's idea of a talent, as we'll see. So let's begin reading then in Matthew 25, and we're going to read what's known as the parable of the talents, beginning in verse 14. And so it says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me my two talents. And behold, look, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And when he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you, that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. You oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him which has ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that has not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you once again, Lord, that you'll open this word to our minds and our hearts, and I ask that you'll show us all here, Lord, the privileges and the opportunities, and with that, the responsibilities that you've given to every person in this room that calls themselves a Christian and is a member of your kingdom. And I thank you that you'll do that tonight and help me to speak clearly, Lord, and to minister, and we thank you for your presence here in Jesus' name. 
So we read that a wealthy man had a lot of money, called his servants to him and delivered his goods, it says, or his property to them. And this property that he delivered to him is described in the terms of talents. So a talent to a Palestinian Jew was not what he was good at doing. So if you heard a Jew or back then and you saw him walking down the street singing a song and you said, man, you have got a great voice. What an amazing talent you have. He'd have looked at you like you were nuts because that's not the way they looked at talents back then. Because a talent is not a coin, but what it was back then was it was the weight, the combined weight of precious metal had a monetary value. And Silver was the most common precious metal that was available back at that time, the Palestinian time. So 75 pounds of any precious metal, it could have been gold, it could have been silver, but it was typically silver. But 75 pounds of silver was known as a talent. So a talent wasn't like you had a coin, a, like a $100 bill. It wasn't a talent. It was a weight of money because you wouldn't see a 75 pound coin. That'd be kind of hard to carry around in your pocket. Now, I know somebody that's got a silver bar that weighs 10 ounces, a 10 ounce used as a paperweight, and it's worth 162 bucks. Not quite what a talent's worth. The question I'd like to ask you what would be, how much do you think a 75 pound weight of silver would have been worth back then? So, Actually, here's what it would have been worth. 20 years of work, 20 years of a common laborer's work is what a talent would be. And so if you want to put that at an average income, some people make more than that. That'd be a lousy income to some people. But at $30,000, let's say, in 20 years, you would have $600,000 equivalent of our money today to have a talent. So one talent was worth, let's just say, for the sake of reading this, $600,000. So to the one servant he gave five talents, that is $3 million. It's a lot of money. And the second man with two talents would have had $1.2 million. And the third guy with the one talent would have had the equivalent of $600,000 given to him by his master. So I wouldn't feel too sorry for that last guy because if I got a check in the mail for $600,000, I think I could probably retire and not find something else to do, but I could retire. I could find a log cabin and something to whittle on <laughs> for my last few days, right? But here's the question I want to answer is, what does a talent in this parable represent? What does it represent? And I think the first thing it represents is a gift or privileges, gifts or privileges that we receive from the Lord. So they didn't earn this money, did they? It was given to them by the Lord. And the thing is, you need money to do business, to start a business, don't you? You gotta have some talents if you wanna start a business. And the other thing I believe it represents here is opportunity, opportunity. So when you have money, it creates opportunities. So most of the time we think of talents as being abilities. Well, I had an uncle that had, he's still living, I have an uncle who has a lot of abilities, but he had no talents. So he wanted to start a computer store. The guy's a genius at computers. He's got all kinds of talent, but he didn't have the money to get his business going. He needed a gift to create 
an opportunity, which he did receive from a man. I mean, isn't that what Shark Tank is all about? You've got talented people there, and they're after these guys. They're saying, we want your talents. You've got people with abilities, but we want you rich people, your talents, to create for us what? An opportunity. And that's what's going on here in this parable. So talents in our parable here are not special abilities. It's not singing, playing a piano, or riding a horse, but money that represents privileges, opportunities, and with that comes what? responsibility those three things and look at verse 15 and here's how we know it's not abilities because it says unto one he gave five talents to another two and to another one to every man according to his several ability so if it were abilities that would be reading like this unto one he gave five abilities unto another two abilities to another one to every man according to his ability I mean, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? If talents were abilities, it wouldn't make sense. So what we're saying is this man gave these men in giving them this money, he gave them privileges and opportunity according, opportunities according to their own ability. That's what we just read there in verse 15, what they were capable of doing. So I want to give the context here before we move on of this parable of the talents. And so moving back into... Matthew 24, the whole first half of Matthew 24, Jesus is answering the questions of when would the temple be destroyed, when is his second coming going to happen, and when is the end of the world? And he tells them that terrible trials during, in that first half of Matthew 24, terrible trials are coming, and he says all aren't going to make it. That's the context of this parable here, because he says some are going to get worn out by all the abounding evil that takes place. He says, we know from Timothy that it's going to be perilous times. And Jesus says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many, back in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 24, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And he also said that some are going to listen to false prophets and be deceived. And that's coming. He says, many false prophets in verse 11 Chapter 24 will arise and deceive many. Many are going to be deceived. And also in Luke, we know it's going to be so bad that men are going to have heart attacks over the judgments that are coming on this earth and the losses that they're seeing. It says in Luke 21, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. But he goes on to tell him, he says, you will not know the exact day and hour that that's going to take place. He tells him that six times in Matthew 24, that no one knows for sure the day and the hour. Instead, what does he tell them? He goes on to tell them towards the end of Matthew chapter 24 that we need and they need to be ready and watching. Don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to be terrible times. A lot of people aren't going to make it. Most aren't going to make it. And so he warns them. He said, you need to be ready and watching for the Lord's return. He says, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore, he says, be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not, 
the Son of Man comes. And so the beginning of this chapter that we're reading, 25, the beginning of that, the question is, well, what are we supposed to do then until you come? What is this watching and waiting all about? And we talked about that. It's been a few months back, but that is the parable of the ten virgins. He says, oh, no, you don't just say some prayer and then some prayer of faith, confessing Jesus as Lord and just sit back and enjoy life. He said, you better prepare. Because he said, what? The wise virgins, they looked ahead and they said, hey, it may be a little bit of time before the Lord comes back. There might be a possible delay. And it said they bought oil. And when we taught that, that oil represents that they heard the word and obeyed. Because the foolish virgins, they thought that virgin was all they had to have, just the name virgin, just the name Christian. They didn't have to hear and obey to be diligent about that, right? And then when the Lord came back and that trumpet call came, they ran off to do what they should have been doing all along. But it was too late, too late to buy oil, too late to hear and obey. And they came back to what? A shut door. Everything was shut. The ones that had prepared, they were in there. They came to a shut door and they're knocking. Lord, in a panic, open unto us. And it said, it's too late. What did he tell them? I never knew you. You didn't really love me. And how is that evidence? We've just quoted it at the last two meetings. John 14, 21. If you love me, you'll obey me. And he denied them entrance. They didn't love him and they weren't obeying him. And so this parable that we're looking at here, beginning in verse 14, the parable of the talents, answers the next question. Okay, we'll hear and obey, but how and where are we to do that? And God's answer is what we just read there. He says, I'm going to give you talents, the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you talents, and then I'm going to be gone for a long time. Don't know how long. I'm going to give you resources and opportunities to be faithful. That's what you're to be about while you're waiting for me to come back. What we do with the resources, the privileges, and the opportunities that God gives us is going to determine where we end up when he comes back. It's critical. So there's three points I want to look at from this parable today. And the first thing I want to look at is God gives talents or opportunities, and they are based on our abilities. I want to read verse 15 again. He says, Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, it says, according to their several ability, and straightway he took his journey. So he gave five to one, two to another, and to one he just gave one talent. Why didn't he give them all the same talents? The same amount of talents. You know, in Luke's account, where he gives them pounds, everybody received the exact same amount. There wasn't a different amount in that account. But in Luke's account, they all didn't return the same amount. They varied according to their abilities, just like here. So one returned 10 pounds for the one that was given, another five. And all of them, though, it returned an increase. All of them in Luke's account were commended by the Lord. And Jesus didn't say, you know, why are you only bringing me five and not ten like this other guy? Because in both Matthew and Luke, the Lord recognized he would not have agreed with the U.S. Constitution. The Lord recognizes that all men are not created equal. 
because some are able to handle greater privileges and responsibilities than others. So, listen, we can know this by the fact that God didn't choose an uneducated slave to write the majority of the New Testament, did he? Who did he choose? He chose the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, even by unregenerate people that have read the New Testament, they consider him to be a brilliant man. I mean, sinners can recognize that. And he was highly educated as a Pharisee, wasn't he? I mean, he knew Greek poetry. He, those guys could quote the entire Bible, the Old Testament, either direction, by memory. That's what happened if you were a Pharisee. Paul was very smart. And so his abilities enabled God to give him greater privileges and opportunities than most who have served the Lord Jesus Christ down through these centuries. But what did it also do? It gave Paul much greater responsibilities, didn't it? But could he boast? Could he boast about that, though? What did we, we just read it not too long ago. He said, I am what I am. Why? By the grace of God. It still didn't change the fact that he had different abilities, though. So does that make him better than the uneducated slave? You know, there's a lot of slaves. There was 30% slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. I make him better than an uneducated slave that got saved? I mean, we always obviously know the answer to that is no. But like, that's even in here. We have got various degrees of education sitting in this room, don't we? If you want to put it that way, various degrees of ability, so to speak. I mean, we have got engineers and we've got plumbers. I'm saying, I know plumbing's tough. But it's not quite an engineering degree, right? And we've got housewives with college degrees, right? And housewives that got their GEDs or whatever. So that means you're going to have different abilities, and it's going to put you in different places in life, isn't it? Based on that, right? So he's not going to give the same opportunities to everybody in here. Everyone in here is not going to have the same privileges. Some are the same, but not the same privileges and not the same opportunities, right? Some may have more or less if you want to say it talents, but nobody that calls themselves a Christian in this room has got zero talents, zero privileges, zero opportunities. So wherever God has placed you with the privileges and opportunities that come up, those are your talents that God has entrusted you with. Well, I'm saying talents or privileges and opportunities. What are some of the privileges that we enjoy here? And one is, for however many years this church has been in existence, we have heard the word preached, right? And I believe we've heard it faithfully preached and preached in a right way. And I'm going to talk about myself. I've been here long enough to be talking about myself. But that is a privilege. That is a talent, if you want to put it that way, that we've been entrusted with. And what's another talent, if you want to say, or privilege that the majority of people, it should be all that are members of this church, it's actually in the old membership sheet, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. That is a tremendous privilege if you've received that. It really is because we can have prayer meetings and we can know when we pray in tongues that everything we say in tongues, if we pray by faith, we're praying, the Bible says, according to the perfect will of God. Now, that doesn't make us better than other Christians. I hear that all the time from people that don't have the baptism. I would hear it from different ones. Oh, do you think that makes you better than us? It does not at all. 
But I'm not going to say it's not a privilege that God has given me and something I need to apologize for and that it's made a tremendous difference in my own life. Amen. You can't tell me that. Because I had major problems I needed deliverance from and just the ability to read the word and how it opened the word up. And just the light that comes with it and being able to pray in the spirit about things and see the results that happen. You know, that's, that's a privilege we have. It's a talent God's given us. Spiritual gifts and some he's blessed with some money more than others, but I'd say we've been blessed with money. Being a member of this church is a privilege. And other things, there's privileges and talents or talents that God has given us. And what about opportunities? What are your opportunities? They're talents too. It's where you work. That is a talent that God has given you. Where you go to school, the people you come in contact with, ministry opportunities, interacting with other people at church, raising a family. Do you realize your family is a talent that God has given you, that you have a responsibility to answer for one day? But listen, all of those things, some more than others, some people's ability to understand and receive the word. It's not all the same even in here, even though we may hear the same message preached and read the same Bible. But we're all getting something, aren't we? God's given everybody, like we're, that's what we're seeing in that parable, everybody has a talent. Nobody's void of no talents, which means you've got privileges, but also it means there is no one in here that is void of responsibility to use them, the talents he's given you. So what I'm saying is there are talents, privileges, opportunities he's entrusted to you, not to us, to you as an individual. And it's a responsibility, as I said, we'll stand before the, before the Lord in the day of judgment. Because we're going to have to give an account. Look at verse 19. It says this, but after a long time, it doesn't say how long, the Lord of those servants, he came back. And he had a day of reckoning. At the end of verse 19, he reckoned with them. And we need to let that sink in. That all that he's given us, there is one day going to be a day of reckoning. And if we are found to waste or bury or not use the talent, talents that God has given us, it is not going to be a pleasant day on that day. Look what it says in verse 30. The one that wasted and buried his talent, it says, Cast ye that unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What I want us to see here is <laughs> these opportunities, they're based on our abilities. And so when you look at verses 21 and 23, what does he say to the man that had five and returned five and the man that returned the two talents? Look in verse 21. This is the man with the five talents. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And look in verse 23. The one with the two, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou in to the joy of the Lord. And listen, that's amazing. He says, Enter into my joy. You've taken what I've given you and given me back increase. Enter thou into my joy, is what he tells him. And so what do we learn from that? We don't have to be concerned that we're not the five-talent person 
or we're only the two-talent person, or even the one-talent person. It's not a problem. They both get the same commendation from their Lord, don't they? They really do. So you don't have to be envious of the person at church you think that gets all this attention because they're the spiritual one. And you think, man, I know I'm saved. I'm just not spiritual like other people. And you feel inferior. You don't need to feel inferior. But the one that's got a greater position seems to be able to quote more scriptures, led more people to the Lord. And what we see from this is you just need, all of us, we need to be faithful where we are. Where God has us, we need to be faithful. And with the abilities God has given you, and he'll reward you. Make the most, I would say, in what this parable says, make the most of where you are. Don't sit down on God because of where you are. And that's a temptation. You know, someone's like, man, I am just a housewife that sits at home peeling potatoes. I barely made it through high school. I barely got my GED. And all I do is clean up grape juice off the floors and change 13 dirty diapers a day, and I got one waiting in the wings. And that's my life. And nobody even thanks me at the end of the day. And you are standing up there and saying that's a talent from the Lord. A monkey could do what I do. You haven't heard what a talent is. That's part of the problem. A talent is your opportunities. So sometimes what I'm saying is the opportunity or the talent that God has given you doesn't seem like much of an opportunity or much of a privilege to show forth his glory. Because I just sit at home with kids all day. I can't make these big trips down to the Dominican and Guatemala and going to prison and out on the streets. You know, I'm just stuck at home. You need to remember John Wesley's mother, Susanna. Now here's what happened. Her husband, they got in an argument over something. I don't know what. But her husband left her for a year with a lot of kids. And here, listen to this. This is the letter that she wrote to him. She says, I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, in other words, you ought to be the one here taking care of the physical and spiritual needs of these kids. She's saying it's really your responsibilities. She says, yet in your long absence, I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. So she's saying, all these children, it's my talent committed to my trust. I'm responsible for them. You're not here. God's put that responsibility on me. So these children you're raising, how's why? That is no inferior thing. That's the talent God's given you. She went on to write, I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observed the following method. I take such proportion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. I don't know what happened to John, but I'm sure he's in there somewhere. That's what she did. This is my talent. Your children are your talents. That's men and women that we're going to have to give an account one day for how we've raised them and whether we did in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we're saying whatever opportunities, whatever talent God's given you, 
We need to serve him with joy. It's not inferior because you're not out in public. You're not up here speaking or whatever. That has nothing to do with it. That two-talent position God's put you in or opportunity, he will reward you just as much as that person with five. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. You were faithful with what I gave you and where I had placed you. So if you'll put something there in Matthew 25 and turn to 1 Corinthians 7. And that's what Paul's telling them here. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 17. It says, but as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. As a man called being circumcised, let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Are you called being a slave? He says, care not for it. What can a slave do ministry-wise? Not much. But he says, care not for it. But if you can be made free, well, use that rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's slave. And we'll be quoting this later on. But he says, you are bought with a price. Be not ye the slaves of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. He's saying you're a slave. That's no problem. That's as low as it gets to be somebody's slave. You're just a factory worker, a housewife. You think you're a nobody. God doesn't care about that. Your rewards aren't because you're well-known or everyone thinks you're so great or whatever. It's just being faithful where you are, where God has placed you. And that's what he's telling us here. The second thing I'd like to look at if we go back to Matthew 25 is God will reward us for our faithful service and so we should take risk. So what was the fault of the wicked servant, the one talent servant? Was it that he only had one talent? Was that what got him judged? That wasn't the problem. Maybe he was a messed up individual. Maybe he was deformed, couldn't speak well, but he wants to go to heaven. So he signs up confesses he's a Christian and receives his one talent, one small opportunity, just one talent. And God wasn't expecting much from him because he had a lot of baggage in his life. Only gave him one talent. But what he was doing, he was expecting him to step out and take what seemed to him to be a big risk with that one talent and all his baggage. Right? Instead, what did he do? He played it safe. And went and hid that talent, and he let his opportunity go. Didn't use it for whatever his reasoning was, and it wasn't good reasoning. So it wasn't that he had less abilities than the other two that he was judged. It was that he wasn't faithful with what he had been given. Now, there's an interesting proverb, Proverb 14, 4, and it goes like this. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of an ox. So what's that saying? Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. If you don't have an ox, guess what? It's not hard to keep that stall clean. There's no work, no manure, and you can relax. Is that right? You don't have one in there, 
There's no demands placed on your life when you don't have an ox in that stall, is there? Not hard to keep up. No demands for the ox, and there's no demands on you to go out and plow a field if you don't have one. And that's what that wicked servant did and thought. He thought, I'm going to bury that talent. I'll bury that ox. And then I won't have any responsibilities and no worries. But what does that ox represent? Opportunity, does it not? <laughs> to plow fields, to feed your family, and to reproduce more oxen. So no ox gives a clean, worry-free crib, but it also means you just lost a big opportunity there when you don't have an ox. But much increase, it goes on to say, is by the strength of the ox. So the word to us is take the ox that the Lord has given you and give him back increase. Give him back the five talents, the two talents, or the one he has given you. You think God won't reward you for that? If you take what he's given you and you take risk and step out, take that time to where, man, I just don't feel like I'm the kind of person that can share. I've always been a shy person or whatever. And you take that opportunity where he's put somebody in your path that you know needs to hear the gospel. And you take that step out there and you, you may not say it good at all, but God can take what you say and convict that person and bring them to the Lord. You think he's not going to reward you for that? You're stammering away and uh, apologizing for what you're saying, but you get it out. You took that opportunity. You didn't bury that talent. Listen to what God says. This is so much different than what the unjust servant said about the Lord. Because the Bible says God is not unrighteous. He said, oh man, he's hard and cruel. But the Bible says God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. doesn't say it has to be perfect. Not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You step out there wherever he's given you opportunity. We've got people here that I found out since becoming pastor, I never knew anything about it because they don't go around talking about it. But there's saints in here that need ministry, and they're doing it. And it's nothing that's like going to be put in a bulletin. Just quiet ministry, but it's people in here that need someone to encourage them. And here's this person that sees that, and they do it. They take the time to encourage this person, drop in on them, see how they're doing. And it says God will not overlook that. He's not unrighteous. So really, a lot of times, the big names standing up front and all that, man, that's the, you maybe don't want to be in those shoes. The Bible says you don't. So he's not unrighteous as this wicked servant accuses him of. And what we need to understand is a lot of people think, well, this guy is just like the word servant. He's just like a hired worker that can just quit when he wants to or like factory workers in our country that they refuse to work if they don't like the job and they'll go on strike. But that is not the case because King James, I don't know what your version translate this as. It translates it servant. The word is slave not servant, it's slave. So we in America here, we only know slavery that is based on race. You know, our slaves in this country back in the day came from West Africa, and they were of a different color and a different culture than those that were in America. But listen, what we need to understand is the slaves in Rome were typically of the same race and culture. You couldn't just look at somebody and tell they were a slave, unlike in America. And some were very refined 
educated and cultured. Because a lot of them, it wasn't that they didn't have culture and education. They just got in a bad way in debt, and they had to sell themselves to somebody to get out of debt. Because they didn't have bankruptcy courts in Chapter 13 and all that back then. Now, if you owed somebody money, they were going to get it back out of you one way or another, right? And so a lot of those slaves, they were capable. They would run farms when the landowners weren't there, and they were able to manage their owner's shipping or trading business. And so unlike American Romans back then, or people in that era, they didn't view slaves as inferior, like a lot of people do in America, inferior just by nature. They didn't look at them that way. So they wouldn't question the ability, most of the time, of slaves to perform high-level jobs. They could do it. That's why this guy's giving these people these millions of dollars. That would not have been that unusual. I don't know if the millions of dollars would have been. But a lot of slaves back then were given great responsibilities. But the point I want to make is they were still slaves, not workers, not just servants that could quit whenever they wanted to. They were slaves, and they owed their masters. They owed them. They couldn't go on strike, a slave back then, just more than a slave could in our country. They couldn't just go on strike and walk away or refuse to work or complain about their jobs. If they did that back then, they'd have been killed or beaten at best. A slave owned his master's service. And here's what we need to see about this. We owe God, whether we like to admit it or not. And our service to him, just like those slaves back then, is not an option. And I think most, should I say most, I say a lot of people in our circles think it's an option whether we witness, give, pray for the church and other people. It's just we got our own thing to do. I'm going to bury that talent and go on my way. I got my own thing to do. I'm not going to be burdened down by all that other kind of stuff. But we owe God. Our service is not an option. And listen to this verse. What Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body and spirits were slaves, are we not? To God. Whether we like to say it, that's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 7 says this. We read it earlier. He that is called being free is Christ's servant or slave. Everyone in this room is Christ's slave. You are bought with a price. Be ye not the slaves of men. And Paul continually, throughout his epistles, called himself a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this guy here, who is supposed to be this man's slave, he calls his master hard, strict, harsh, cruel. The word means merciless. That's what he's saying, my master is that way. And some people accuse God of being that way. That's their attitude towards him. What he's asking me to do, that is just hard. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to bury my talent. But really, is God that way? He's not. Not at all. Merciless? We better hope not that he's merciless. So he's full of overflowing with mercy, is he not? And we just read that God is not unrighteous. 
to forget your labor of love. And that guy would say he would be. Oh, he just, this master of mine, all he does is he's just trying to gain from me. I don't get anything out of it. All he wants is the gain, and yet if something doesn't work out, he's going to get my hide if I lose money for him. This guy's hard. Oh, no, he's not. That's not the way the Lord is. So God will reward us. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Labor is not in vain. That means empty or worthless. Anything you're doing for the Lord, no matter how small it seems to be, raising those children is not worthless in His sight. That labor you put into your children... The nurture and admonition of the Lord is not <laughs> worthless. So we need to be steadfast. Listen to this verse, Matthew 10. He that receives a prophet, Jesus said, in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give a drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple Truly I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And he says, you receive a prophet into your house, you'll get a prophet's reward. A great man of God. And you think, man, how am I going to receive a prophet living in Shelbyville, Kentucky? Well, you probably won't. You never know. And that's why he goes on to add just a cup of cold water. That's the other end of the scale. How much does that cost? Nothing. Who doesn't have that talent available to distribute? You got to give that water to a prophet for it to matter? Uh-uh. He said, just give it to any disciple that has a need. That's all you got to do. Give it to someone dying in a nursing home that needs a drink of water. Someone just holds someone's hand at six. And he says, I'm not going to forget your labor of love. John Abel working with me one time, and we're working in this nursing home, and I don't know what he was supposed to be doing, painting door jams, and I walk by, and there's John propping up the head of this person trying to make him comfortable. And I'm thinking, man, on the one hand, I'm thinking, i got to get some door jams painter. I'm going to go broke. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, man, that is a true heart. He's got a true heart of compassion. And things like that, you think God doesn't look on that, and that means nothing? That's nothing that's going to make the newspapers, but it's a big deal with the Lord. So let's look lastly here, I want to say this, if we're faithful with the opportunities that God gives us, he will lift us up. It's a principle throughout the Bible. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, 1 Peter 5, 6. And so I know we talk about Joseph a lot, but he fits in a lot of illustrations <laughs> because he was faithful, wasn't he, with the opportunities that God gave him. And you all know the story. He had the dream that the Lord gave him that he'd be exalted. His mother, father, and 11 brothers had all bound down to him. And man, that just sounded great. What an opportunity it's going to be. The talent God gave him was far from an exalted position. Because what was the talent? We're saying privilege and opportunity. What was it that God gave him? A prison sentence. That's where he's at. Old Joseph spent 13 years in that prison. And what they call a two-year flop thrown in, thought he was going to get out. And they're like, no, you got two more years in there, my friend. It's not going to work. And how do you think he felt as a 17-year-old rotting in prison?
prison. Probably thinking to himself, man, if God blesses me with any more talents like this, I'm going to burst. I doubt it. So I don't think that was much of a blessing to him. Maybe it didn't appear to be not much of a talent, but that was where God had placed him. And don't we know from reading that account, he made the most of it. He didn't just lay down, did he? He was so faithful serving the Lord, they put him in charge of that whole jail. And it said God's hand was on him in that jail. So you don't like the position you're in? Hey, be faithful where you're at. Be the best at whatever you're at. And God's hand will be on you and he'll bless you and give you favor. And he'll give you gifts even to operate within that. He will. He may anoint you with a gift to give somebody healing that is talking to you, just somebody that you never would have expected. I don't know. Because he gave Joseph the ability and the gifting to interpret dreams, did he not? Even down in that dungeon, that's how God used to get him out of there. But what if he'd have laid down on the Lord? Because like, man, I'm here? This is nothing like what you promised me. I can't stand this place. What if he'd have done it? It never would have happened for him, would it? Never would have been rewarded. What if he'd have buried it all in the ground? and said, I'm not messing with this. I don't like this. Been like that other guy, the one-talent servant. Man, he's put me in this prison. He's unreasonable. Got me stuck in here after making me some big promise. I don't like him. I'm going to find another God to serve. These Egyptian gods seem like they're pretty good. A lot more friendly. No, he didn't do that. So he made the most of where God put him, and it wasn't easy for him. This is a great testimony, but there was two Moravians back in the day, and there was this Count Zinzerdorf, and he, had, he was a rich man, had a nice plantation. But he's got a heart for the Lord, and he gathered these people on his rich plantation, and they were praying. And they were praying for revival. And they were praying that God would send people out to the lost people of this world. And they're like, hey, we can pray about this, but all of a sudden God's putting it on their hearts. We're going to start sending. And they sent people and sent people. And so there was two young men. They heard about these slaves on these West Indie plantations where these masters that they had were cruel and they're like, we're not letting these people have any religion, no Bibles, no ministers. Nobody's coming in here like that. And they heard about that, these two Moravians, praying for revival, praying for God to use them. And so what did they do? They got on a boat and they went there and they're saying, okay, we can't go in as ministers. They sold themselves into slavery on that plantation so that they could reach those men. And that was the talent they had, never to be heard from again. Got on that boat, and they're all crying because they're realizing we'll never see those two guys again. They will die there. And they did. But yet they were rejoicing. They were. That God was going to use them, and that he was going to bring light and salvation to these men that had no other chance. You think they didn't hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when their life was over? So what about in here? Somebody's an older person or a housewife, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I can't get on a boat like that. I can't go out. I can't get out of my home, go to prison, go to Guatemala, go to the Dominican. Does that mean that your one talent, if you want to look at it that way, is less? All I can do, you say, all I can do because of my circumstances is pray. And I would say, all you can do is pray? What's wrong with that? The Apostle Paul would have loved to have you on his team. He always was asking for prayer. 
You think that's less that a person is the one that stays and prays and has a ministry of intercession? That's less than the people that go out and speak? No way. Paul said this, Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. He realized that it was prayer that was helping his ministry and witnessing to the lost. He wouldn't have had a problem with that. And let me give you one other one here. You think a prayer ministry is no good? What about Anna the prophetess? Luke chapter 2. Listen to what it says about here. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, 84 years old. Was she done? And she used up all her talents. Did she have no talent at that point because she can't do much? What's what it says about her? It says she departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, you think she didn't have something to return to the Lord as a result of those fasting and prayers? Nothing wrong with that. Listen, God is the one that gives us our talent, that gives us the privileges we have, the opportunities he places us in. It's not somebody else. God puts us where we need to be. And it's for him to tell us what our talents are and for us to be faithful to use them, whatever they are, because it's going to be different. Different talents, different opportunities, different privileges, even in here. They're not the same. Because, listen, we just read not that long ago about David and Ziglag and what happened at the end of that story? So they got to that riverbank, and it said some of them were just too tired. They couldn't go on. I mean, they'd been marching a long time, and they stayed with the stuff. Because the last time they left all their stuff alone, they came back, and none of it was there. So somebody had to stay with it, right? They left 200 guys there, and the other 400 went on and fought. And what happens? They come back to those 200. The 200, man, we are so glad to see you guys. But some of those guys that said they were sons of the devil it says, uh-uh, we're not giving you anything. We've been out fighting, and all you've been doing is staying with the stuff. And David says, it doesn't work like that. Uh-uh. The people that stayed with the stuff are going to be blessed just as much as the ones that went out and fought. They're both going to get a well-done, thou good and faithful servant. Let me end with saying here, what should we take away from this? And a man says a couple things I'd like to share with you. Three things. And the first one is our task while we're waiting for our master's return is to improve our master's assets, not ours. To improve his assets, not ours. That's what we're to be doing while we're waiting for our Lord to return. His assets that we have, his talents, his opportunities, his privileges, they've all been given to us. There's nothing we earned, are they? Nothing we have naturally, they've all been given to us because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now that he's given them to us, we have a grave responsibility to use them. And Jesus is telling us here at the end of this parable that the people that are busy, like that man that hid the talent, he wasn't going to do that, but he's out doing something. The ones that are busy watching over and improving their own assets, while neglecting the Lord's, they are going to be found wanting. Remember we talked about the rich man and Lazarus? Was the rich man making good use of the Lord's talents? I would say not. He's out to improve his own life, wasn't he? And found out in the end it was the great reversal. Wasn't a good thing. 
Because look down here at verse 26, 25, 26. Starting 25, and that guy says, I was afraid, I went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, have get back what's yours. And his Lord answered and said unto him, You are wicked, and not only wicked, you are lazy. Wicked and lazy. So I would say this, if it didn't clear from this parable, at the end of the day, if you are a Christian, you and I are slaves of Christ. And our job as slaves of Christ is to improve his assets. That's what he's given us. That's what we're reading in this parable. Gave these men assets and said, here, take these and bring me back more. And God's given us all privileges and opportunities that we need to improve and give him back something in return spiritually. And how does that happen? Well, one way is evangelism, isn't it? Now, most people think, well, that's somebody else's responsibility. If your name is Christian, evangelism, the Great Commission is for everyone. Go ye, therefore, because you will be taking that gospel with your opportunities to places that the rest of us can't go. And so you have the responsibility. And I know the way it is. Most people think I don't have that responsibility. And I'm not saying anything because I like people to like me. And it's too much work. And it's quiet, and I know why. But that's what God expects of us, not to be sitting there. He didn't fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you teaching to just have it all sit inside of you. It's to share with others. I mean, isn't that what Ephesians 4 says? He's given the five-fold ministry, not so we can just come week after week and hear, but why? For the equipping of the saints so that everyone in here that's a Christian, and that includes people that are teenagers going to school. You say you're saved, you've been baptized, but you never witnessed to anyone at school? There's something wrong there. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Is that what it says? It says that. Ephesians chapter 4. So that's one thing, evangelism. And the other is building up the body here. We have a responsibility to be praying for others in this church and each other, edifying others and encouraging others. You consider yourself a member of this church. It's a talent he's given you, and there's a responsibility that goes with that, that we speak into each other's lives and love each other. That's a responsibility we have, and that's what he's talking about here. The second thing is we should enjoy being the Lord's slaves. Look at what it says here. Look in verse 20. The man with the five talents, and the same as said with the man with two. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. And he is happy. That behold is like, look here. Look what I have done for you. And it says at the beginning, when he gave those guys talents, the one with the five and the two, it says immediately. They went right to work for their Lord. Is our service for the Lord not to be joyful? It is to be joyful. That's one of the reasons a curse comes is when it says in Deuteronomy 28, because you didn't serve the Lord joyfully. Joyful service to the Lord. Boasting. Glad to serve that master. Not like the third slave. He wasn't happy at all. In fact, he didn't do it. He had an attitude towards his master. Man, I'm not doing anything for you. But no, the other two, hey, look, they're not proud about themselves. They're boasting in the Lord. You gave us two talents, and look here. Look what those two talents got you. I'm glad that I could do it. Glad that you could use me. 
That's the way it should be. Amen? Y'all are thinking, I can tell. Thankful for what he's done. Thankful for what the Lord has done for you. Serving him out of thankfulness. And like this man said, if you don't have a desire in your heart to improve your Lord's assets, you're his slave. He's given us these privileges that the word, the Holy Spirit, the word of deliverance, healing. You don't have it in your heart to go out and improve those assets by sharing and just ministry. Whatever it is that he's given you to do, I would doubt, honestly, that you're a Christian. According to the parable, you wouldn't be. The person that just buries it all, doesn't do anything with it. What does it say? He's an unprofitable servant cast into outer darkness. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. And the last thing is waiting for the Lord, we see from this, is waiting for the Lord's return is not going up on a rooftop and drinking tea and smoking a pipe. It's not passive, is it? You've got to be active. So it's not just, I'm not doing any big sins, and I hang around a lot of good people that I like. That is not what it is. It's joyfully giving your service to the Lord. Immediately they went to work. And I'm going to say, I'm preaching this in light of what I want to say on Sunday. It's warfare. It is warfare that we're involved with that doesn't end. Because we got an enemy out there that he doesn't give up. And he's after us. And he's after everyone in here. And he's after making us lazy and slothful and burying our talents. That's what he's going to try to talk us into doing. And it's a warfare not to. But it's never passive waiting for the Lord. Amen. So let's just determine to make the most of whatever situation God has us in. Whatever he's placed us in. And let's determine to repay our Lord and Savior with faithful service. Repay him and take what seems to be risk to you in your own little realm. But listen, we can know if we do that, we just talked about it, didn't we, that God will abundantly reward us. Because it's funny, you look at, remember the amounts? We said that guy's given, what, six million bucks, whatever, the other two, 600,000, gives them these huge amount of money, the equivalent of in our day, and he says to them, Think about it. He tells them when they bring back the increase, he says, you've been faithful over a few things. Six million dollars is a few things. And he says, now I'm going to give you a real job. You were faithful in what I gave you to do here. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I'm going to give you a real job. I'm going to make you over many things. And just think what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's not going to be us floating around playing harps. We will have... Great responsibilities. God has made us to work. And it will be work that we will enjoy for eternity and enjoy him. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You didn't say that to slaves back then, but God will say it to us when we're his slaves because we've had the best master ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the words you've given us here. And I just ask, Father, that you'll put it in all of our hearts to see the responsibility we have to make use of all the great privileges and opportunities that you've given us and the places that you've placed us in, that we can hear from you one day, Lord, as many have, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou in to the joy of the Lord. We just 
we just ask that you'll put that in our hearts and that we can hear those words coming from your lips, Lord. And I thank you that you'll do that for everyone in here. In Jesus' name, amen.